This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast episode. I'm really excited about today's guest, Carson Spitsky. He's a growth marketing expert. He's also a two-times Amazon bestseller at the tender age of 21. He's the founder of Spit Solutions. We're going to find out what all that is, but today's talk is going to be all about marketing growth. I'm really excited about this conversation. It's a real interest of mine and happy to welcome Carson to the show. Welcome, Carson. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris, and great intro. Yeah, I know you, uh, you're you coming off uh, uh, kind of a sprint with your business. You know, Talk to people about your story, your background, what you do, and we'll dive right into the conversation. Yeah, sure. So we do a couple of different things. The main thing we do on our end is like public relations, right? Perception, helping people become more credible, getting more exposure. And this manifests itself in various forms. The one in which we're doing it most commonly and we're doing it for ourselves is helping a lot of our clients that have active sales teams or actively like prospect, we want to make sure that we're helping them become more focused, able to get more leads, higher quality leads with bigger companies, and they can close those deals quicker and more seamlessly. Like how we do this is we use a mix of kind of just different uh, growth marketing strategies, but also getting our clients featured on various publications so they're more trusted and more established in the eyes of the people they're reaching out to at the end of the day. Yeah, I love that. It sounds like you're talking, um, you know, we're, it's going to be a really um, interesting conversation because it's going to be all about PR and um, uh, outreach. And um, so kind of first thing is talking about the power of online first impressions. Yeah. So what we see pretty heavenly, have, wow, pretty uh, commonly, I'll just use a couple of different perspectives. Most of the people we work with, they either get clients through events, referrals, like cold outbound or some other channel, how it always ends up coming around, whether it's the first step or whether it's the second step, right, is they are going to look you up in some way, shape or form. Maybe it's off of an event where you have a good connection. They do some due diligence on you, right? They're going to do a quick little Google search. They're going to go to your website. They're going to basically check, kind of make sure you're, con- I forget the right word. It's like the... Um, the accolades you have or how you present yourself matches whether it's over email, whether it's over social or whether it's over like in person. Right. And so what we look to do off of that is we just want to make sure if someone's doing their due diligence, whether it's on the person, whether it's on the company that they're Mm -hmm. popping up and they're doing well for that search. Like for example, like Christopher H. Lou, what you could do, and I don't know if you've done this already, I didn't take a Google search, but like you could just put a simple press release with your name and the title, right? Like $300, go on Access Wire and put it out, right? And what that would do is that would just make you more likely to pass that initial check. Mm-hmm. And 
really, you can go a lot further, right? With pitching journalists with optimizing your socials, optimizing your site, optimizing like everything as far as that goes. But really, that's kind of the base step because how we look at it is sure you can toot your own horn, but it's way better if you have other people or other companies tooting your own horn for you. And that can be in the form of testimonials, press, podcasts, really anything of it. It's not. Yeah, I love that. And um, kind of reminds me, uh, you know, because a lot of um, of the audience listening to this, they're doctors, they don't really have time. But, um, you know, one thing he's talking about is if you're, um, I was talking with another guest and he was saying, if you're not online, like social media, or even at like LinkedIn or Facebook, you know, you don't exist because people are going online to search for you. And if you don't, you know, it's basically free advertising. Um, the next question is, um, when you talk about PR and then you basically navigating the PR landscape and how do you integrate PR into marketing and sales? Yeah, sure. So how we look at it is it all comes back to human psychology at the end of the day. And this ties deeper than just an online presence, like everything from marketing, from your interactions, you want to be unique. You want to be differentiated, whether it's your company and the positioning your offers, you don't necessarily have to differentiate on the services you provide, but if it's perceived as slightly different, that helps. And I'll use a bit of an example here. This is kind of a bait question here, Chris, but do you get a fair amount of emails per day? Say say again, do I get what? Do you get a fair amount of emails per day just pitching you on random stuff? Yeah, yeah, they're really annoying, by the way, so. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. No one really wants them. But what they're doing is they're either attempting to get a meeting or they're attempting to get a reply. Those are fine at the end of the day. But what's a way better strategy is giving something that can be nurtured into a meeting, like something that you would actively say yes to. Like, for example, I said yes to this podcast and I was invited. That's a great meeting mechanism that if like you wanted to, for example, Chris, and this could be exactly what you're going for, right? You could nurture it into a meeting and into trust and into a relationship. And by all means, if someone is pitching me the same thing, but there are 10 different people are pitching it, I'm likely going to end up going with Chris because he's more likely to actually have that relationship, have the unique positioning, and at the end of the day, be perceived as better and different, right? So that's really all we try and establish for our clients. It's more getting, turning something into something that can be nurtured into a meeting rather than going for a meeting or going for interest in our services, really. Yeah. Well, along those lines, kind of, it's it's really interesting because, um, it sounds like there's these uh, marketing agencies or whatnot, and they just basically cold out, basically cold outreach. And then, and then, um, what's interesting is they uh, either you respond. So if you respond, they try and funnel you into a, a meeting or a Calendly that you have no idea what the purpose is and kind of wasting everybody's time. Or if you don't respond, then they keep on badgering you those kind of things. And it's, it's, like I said, it's really annoying. And, um, and it's kind of even your spam filters or block, it's still, they still get through somehow. Um, but, uh, you know, that's a different story, but, um, talking about, so kind of cold reach. Um, so basically does cold outreach still work because like, you know, people like most people, they just, they don't, they don't respond and all that, but, uh, using cold outreach to break barriers with anyone without being spammy, um, and uh, talk about um, how have cold emailing techniques evolved? Yeah, so there's 4% of people 
actively in the market that are actively looking for like your service, your product or open to discussing, right? Obviously, if you just had someone with, hey, would you be looking to, I don't know, would you be looking to do some SEO, right? Not exactly the most powerful offer, but you are still going to get people saying yes, if they're actively in the market for it. And the other point too, is you're going to have people, let's say it's around 20% of the market that know they will need it, but maybe they're not in the market for it right now. Right. By saying, Hey, are you like, do you want to do some SEO services? Right. You're probably not going to say yes. I'm just using it as an example. But what does happen is if you're hitting it from the perspective of nurturing them over time, making them say yes to something that you know they will enjoy, they are more likely to come to you eventually if you nurture them properly at the end of the day. And if what you're making them say yes to is so powerful that they're just going to say yes regardless. You can then nurture the bottom 80% into people that realize, oh, shoot, yeah, I could actually see the value of doing something like this. And then, okay, let's get started and let's see if it actually makes sense to do something like this at the end of the day. Yeah. But yeah, cold outreach, I don't really think it's dead. It's just evolving because over the past two or three years, what's happening, because we do a lot of this, it's become way easier, way less uh, costly to send out emails, send out LinkedIn messages, everything compared to ads or like uh, social media DMs, it's way easier just to blast out emails, right? Nothing wrong with it. Your cost per lead goes down, the ability to send more goes up, but the saturation levels and the market sophistication goes way up, right? Because in 2020, 2021, you'd be way more likely to reply to a random cold email than you would be today from what I've seen. Yeah, yeah, it's quite interesting. Um, next thing is, uh, so basically, uh, we talk about, you know, kind of getting booked and then, um, and then you also get, uh, talk about how to get booked calls for less than a dime. Um, this is interesting. I'm just, this is for my own curiosity, but talk about that. Yeah, it is very <laughs> much still B2B marketing at the end of the day. How yeah. we look at it is you can get data for super cheap. You can set up how we look at it is we do use cold email or you can cold call or you can use social media. Social media is probably the easiest, the cheapest because everyone has an, a LinkedIn account. Everyone has an Instagram account. Everyone has a Facebook account, right? And even if you use automation tools, they're still going to be really cost inefficient ways. I'll go through how we're doing it over email in a second. But Instagram, if you're going to send out DMs, obviously, if you're beating with something that people want to get, like, for example, if you're trying to book people in for your podcast, you book in a high-value individual, that's going to be free. Obviously, the podcast production side, there's probably going to be a, maybe some money that goes into it. I'm going to assume, like, StreamYards or Zoom or whatever you're using does have a cost. You do have to edit it, something like that. But at the end of the day, if you're asking at the end, hey, would you be open to exploring X, Y, and Z, then if they say yes and you just book them in for free, but it's kind of a bit misleading – what we're doing on our end is we're doing this over cold email, right? How I would do this is I would get a lead list. I would use a tool like Apollo or D7 Lead Finder or something like that just to get emails. I would set up with um, like domain sending infrastructure. And because your audience is doctors, how I would do this for them is I would look to do this to build potential partnerships with people in my area that could refer out other people to me. I'm sure you can find a list of, I don't know who would be good referral partners, maybe, I don't know, insurance providers or something like that. I'm sure you can find a list of those people and you can build up a conversation, nurture them so that they are sending you business month over month, year over year. 
But all you really need is you need a lead list, you need a sending tool. You can send emails manually, but I would use tools like instantly or smartly.ai. Oh. And at the end of the day, like that's really all there is to it. Yeah. Kind of the next question is um, when you talk about, you know, kind of this uh, brands and how can brands position themselves as a trusted authority? Yeah. Outside of Google presence and like hitting people with something that they actually want to do rather than just pitching them, all we see is just resonating with your market from either a storytelling side or like a pain point side. From what I've seen work really well, if you're able to analyze what your audience cares about, what their deepest fears are, their deepest goals are, and if you're then able to turn that into marketing material, whether it's like case studies, whether it's articles, whether it's like videos and things like that, that actually go through and kind of answer those objections or answer those questions in a way that makes them feel confident about you as a service provider, you as a person and the results you can deliver, they're going to be exponentially more likely to have trust in you and perceive you as a market authority. Even if you may not be like the ultimate, even if you might not be the best service provider out there, if you can be perceived as the best service provider out there, you're going to get the lion's share of like clients or patients that want to go with you at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, the next question is um, when you, you were an Amazon bestseller at 21, what challenges did you face? How did you overcome it? Um, kind of talk about that. Yeah, from the book perspective, it was interesting. I did collab on this with um, a friend of mine. So all we did, neither of us had a really big social media presence. And obviously, like we knew from our perspectives for our company, for our personal brands, for our client acquisition, that having something like Amazon bestseller would help a ton. So all we really did when we actually posted our books was we literally just ran ads. We just ran ads straight to the book to get people to purchase. And we made it a super low price so we could go up the rankings. And really, I think we spent around, I think it was $500,000 for, um, for people to buy the book. And that ended up getting us number one on those books. And <laughs> obviously we're now able to use like, you know, bestseller on Amazon. So it wasn't really too difficult. The promotion side is really not that hard. It's the writing side. That's kind of a pain. Because again, you don't know how you want to style the book. You don't know what you want to talk about. You don't know how to catalog the chapters. But all we really did at the end of the day was we threw in what we're doing within our companies or we're doing because these were books that came out last year, how we're doing it, kind of documenting everything, like really just documenting the step-by-step process we would do. And then obviously marketing the results in the book through ads, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love uh, I've written four books and it's kind of in, I love talking about, you know, just everybody has has a book in them. And um, there's a good quote one of my mentors said is, uh, you know, start just good things come to those who write because writing gets you more publicity, build your brand, you know, leads to more opportunities and you can parlay it into your own brand, social media, etc. The next question is um, your experience working with TEDx and other uh, publicly traded companies, what are some key takeaways from these collabs? Yeah, so everything we've seen that I've seen is I've gotten kind of lucky working with larger organizations. Half the time, I'm getting right to the main decision maker. And 
I think it's kind of just the company size in the slot too, where it's a lower end employee size organization where I can reach the main decision maker without a lot of bureaucracy. And they also have shorter sales cycles, but really like talking to one of those, like talking to a high end like CEO versus a like every day, even just like a seven figure uh, doctor or something like that's a way different conversation. At the end of the day, if you can, you don't necessarily have to do anything as far as like qualifying or diagnosing. So if they're on the call, they know they have an issue. They just need to know why the issue is relevant. Why can you solve their problem? And at the end of the day, how you can even help in the first place. So those calls, whenever I get on a call with like a high end like CEO, it's like a 10, 15 minute call and they have a decision right away. Just because all I'm asking is, okay, like, what, what would you actually be looking to accomplish? Uh, what have you guys done in the past? Like, what are the requirements to look at this? What are the hurdles we need to go through? And then this is what we can do. This is the clear ROI of it. This is the exact process timeline. Here's our guarantees. And really that's generally enough where if they're hopping on the call, they're so like ready to do it in the first place that it's a pretty easy sales cycle. For other companies like TEDx or larger organizations where it's a bit more of a sales cycle, it is more nurturing. It is more having an in with one person, having that one person carry it. I've gotten a little bit lucky. I haven't really had to do anything where I'm carrying it past multiple departments or anything like that. So I'd count myself a little bit lucky. But uh, at the end of the day, it is just like pushing volume and getting a little bit lucky. Like volume negates skill, in my opinion. So, I mean, I guess I just... <laughs> yeah yeah and then kind of you know as a final takeaway is um talk about this idea of uh, key components of a compelling story that not only, not only captures attention but also drives action and then finally to close it out how do people uh follow you check out your social media check out your work and so on yeah and how i look at stories is you can look at it from a client acquisition perspective or you can just look at it from a general perspective from a general storytelling perspective, you want to lead with a really dynamic hook or first couple of paragraphs. I like to look at storytelling similar to video production. No one's going to keep watching if your first five seconds suck, right? <laughs> and what you have to do in those first five seconds, you have to hook them. You have to be unique in some way, shape, or form. Doing it from a PR storytelling perspective means you have to be news newsworthy. You have to be timely, timely. You have to deliver some kind of value or you really just have to showcase why that reader should continue scrolling down. And all you're doing in that hook is you're promising that, hey, there's going to be a lot of value here and you should keep reading. And then all you really have to do is you keep going through is you just have to deliver on your promise of providing value, right? If your hook, for example, is on, I'll just use an example. If it's on the financial independence retire early method, like where you can retire with 30 at 30 or 40 for a lot of money saved, right? Mm. All you have to do with that is if you're claiming, hey, how anyone can uh, fire early, retire early, all you have to do is deliver on the promise. If you start talking about your dog or your day or something like that, no one's really going to care and they're going to click off, right? Same thing yeah. with the video. So you really just want to make a bold claim, deliver on that bold claim. That's really all it is at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. How can people follow you, check out your work, et cetera? Yeah, website spit solutions. That's if you want like done for you PR services. I do write for some medical based publications as well. So you're, if you're a doctor listening to this and you want to take advantage of that, 
shoot me an email uh, at carson at spitsolutions.com. I'll shoot you over the questions and we'll get an article for you. If you want to follow my content, LinkedIn and Twitter, Carson Spitsky for both. Those are the easiest ways to find me. Outside of that, I'm really a hermit on social media. Yeah. And for all the audience out there, let's thank Carson for coming out. Um, I know he's got some, uh, you know, a lot of stuff going on in his business. So thank him for his time and his wisdom and expertise. Uh, all of his resources will be in the links and show notes. Be sure to check those out, follow him. And with that, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Thank you, Chris.